Good evening to you, Nolwan Lewunjan. I'm good, thanks. Uh, probably settling in now uh, uh, into 2020 or what uh, many people are calling 2020. And, uh, but uh, Nolwanje, uh, what do you make here of uh, uh, some of the things that have been happening in the marketplace today? And I want us to maybe start off, uh, I guess, uh, with that report that came from CSIR, uh, briefly before we take a look at some of the stories, suggesting that the cost of load shedding in 2019, anything between just under 60 billion rand, and uh, just under 120 billion rand. I mean, that's massive. You know, um, you know, I don't know exactly what the number is, and uh, it's very hard to quantify because um, you know, there's one you are losing, you know, existing revenue mm. and any potential revenue. Sure. So sure. you know, I think those were, that's what the numbers are based on, and so it's you know, in terms of the numbers, I don't know, but it is massive. Um, you know, the first most impacted is obviously mining companies, manufacturing companies. Mm, heavy users, um, yeah. If exactly. I mean, those those obviously, if you think about a mine, how much they need to generate um, in terms of production and the value of that production and the, the prices of resources are going up, mm. you know, it's, it's going to be a big number. And then obviously you want to have the small SMEs and small businesses which can't afford so life generators. So, I mean, I think the bulk of those numbers will be, you know, the big generators and energy users which, you know, have a lot of production um, throughout the day as well. Mm. So, I mean, the, the number is going to be high. It's going to be very high. And, you know, my only hope is that it gets better and not worse. Yeah, yeah. Let's take a look now at, uh, I guess, some of the news that's come through from the marketplace. And let's start off in Davos, uh, where the World Economic Forum is uh, underway in earnest. Now, uh, uh, the uh, president here of uh, Business Unity South Africa, Sipo Pichana, announced as the co-chair of the WEF Africa Regional Initiative or the board, uh, I guess, uh, whichever is used here in some of the reportage. What is that? And more importantly, I guess, what, what does this new posting for him mean? So, I mean, in terms of his role in, in, in Busa, um, I think, you know, he will probably be doing a similar function just on a bigger scale and obviously will, you know, incorporate the rest of the world. So I think it's more, you know, an upgrade and extension to what he's currently doing, where he's, you know, part of, you know, different committees and, you know, policy-making decisions and discussions regarding economic and trade policies as well as social policies. So what he's probably been doing a lot of for South Africa, as far as, you know, Business Unity SA, what he's been doing, he's probably into doing it for, for Africa mm. and on the board of African nations. And because South Africa is, you know, the most industrialized economy in Africa, you know, it's, it's, it's very necessary for us to have a seat at the table. And I think he is an appropriate person to be on the board. Mm. Mm. And... Uh what do you make of uh, Sunlam here, uh, seemingly disposing of some of their shares in Stefanuti's stocks? It certainly led uh, to a massive sell-off here of uh, uh, that uh, embattled construction company's uh, shares. Yeah, I think, you know, they every time, you know, a, I think also it's been under a big cloud of, you know, in terms of impropriety and corruption and investigations. So I think, you know, they're taking a stance of, it's also in a liquidity crisis as well. So I think, you know, what they've decided most probably is that, you know, no longer a good investment case, and they're getting out. Mm. And, you know, when it's a small company, I mean, you've only got to say 20 or 30 million rand market cap. So it's very, very small, sure. but it's probably so liquid that they could only do so much in this in the time that they were trying to sell out. So, you know, obviously it will stick the market because when you have a big shareholder, um, you know, like Sunlam halving their holding, mm. um, it obviously is going to speak the market. How, how much and, of, you know, uh, you know, the ordinary equity of Stefanuti would Sunlam have held Prior to this move, so it has been from nine point nine five to about four point four five, so somewhere mm-hmm. around this, from ten to five, just on it off. 
So, wow. you know, they had a, you know, team, you know, team company and now it's, you know, they've helped their stake. So, you know, obviously, probably it's up to them, I imagine, they want to get completely out because, you know, they've obviously really taken the, hot lit, the, the losses and the hits there. And I think they just took the decision to say, hey, let's get out of here. And I think, you know, in terms of investors, you know, um, you know, clients come back saying, you know, why are you still in there mm. when all this thing is happening? So, you know, you faced with those sort of decisions. And the rest of the market season getting up, it's most likely and inevitably will spend the investors as well. Yeah. How much of uh, emulation should we anticipate from some other people in the sort of uh, investor or institutional investor community who might uh, be doing similar things and maybe going underweight here on some of the uh, construction stocks? So, I mean, this, the construction sector has been hammered for a very long time. If you look at the actual size of the of the sector, it's, it's very minuscule, it's tiny. It's like they're all like you know, um, penny stocks for many of them. So I think you know, you do, do as an investor, institutional investor, you do make those calls where it's part of your job to say, you know, this, you know, this sector, this company, you know, you have to incorporate any sort of corporate governance issues into it. You know, it's becoming more topical in terms of reporting back to clients and investors, you know, in terms of decision-making. It's playing a bigger role. So, you know, on the other side, you also have activism, you know. Mm. Sometimes they sell out or it's activism or they stay out, you know. So those are pretty much the three different, you know, angles that people look at it and, and, you know, Whichever route they choose, you know, they'll probably have status evidence or, or process around mm. making a decision as to which part they choose. Okay. I want us to pause here for a second, Noloan, uh, uh, and to take a brief break. But when we come back, uh, I want us to take a look here at, uh, I guess, what MTN is doing for Rama 2000 and uh, also uh, uh, take a look, I guess, at uh, what the seeming collapse or the offloading process of WeWork might mean for the future of the uh, co-working uh, or co-sharing of office space and uh, that particular industry globally. It's our wrap of the top business stories and we continue on the other side of this. Seven minutes it is before 8pm. You're tuned in to uh, Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro with myself, Ayabong Atzawe. And uh, we're taking a look at uh, the top business stories that uh, certainly have tongues wagging in the marketplace on this Wednesday. And joining me uh, to help us take a look at some of these stories is uh, Nolwan Lemtombeni. Uh, she's an analyst at Emergence Investment Managers. Now, Nolwan, what do you make here of uh, MTN's uh, foray uh, into the world of TikTok? And uh, for some of the people who might not be familiar uh, with what TikTok is, what is it? And uh, more importantly, certainly uh, had many of Ama 2000 in a tailspin. <laughs> I'm one of you, I don't know what it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> I understand of TikTok, it's, a, it's an app which has to do with videos and people loading the videos and you know, short video clips and downloading it. So I've never used the app or seen the app, mm. but I know it's, it's gotten very popular. Uh, you're not the target market, no, Luan. You're not the Pardon? target. You're not the target market. Exactly, you mm. know. At least, you know, it sounds like, you know, good app and very popular. Um, and so, you know, we've seen over the last few years um, that, you know, if you think of your WhatsApp, you know, every mm. other day someone is posting statuses about videos. So in terms of where social media space is going, everyone is always with a video, with a, with a you know, a cell phone, with a camera in it. Sure. And you know, no matter what you're doing, someone is there with a video to record you. So, you know, MTN, you know, this is following where the trends are going. Um, you know, in this era where we are now, you really need to give the people what they want. Mm. Back in the day, you know, the, the telcos had, had, had the bargaining power. 
they had a duopoly where it was Intune and, and, and Vodacom. And they, you know, whatever you, whatever they gave, you took. But times have changed now. There's competition in the market. Um, there's pressure on pricing and data. Mm. So, you know, you have to kind of move with what the customer wants sure. and have a good offering for them. So they're following the train wagon yeah. of, you know, the growing space of TikTok and they're offering it for people sure. to, you know, you know, be there as well. And you don't know, Roger, if you go, if you go to a place like China and India, I mean, TikTok is massive there. And I guess one of the reasons why it's as big as it is is, uh, you know, the ease of access uh, to things like data that allow people to upload, uh, you know, uh, with uh, adequate speed, a lot of these videos. And uh, it makes me wonder whether or not, uh, you know, some of the uh, South African telcos have been sort of cutting their nose to spite their faces here. Because if the next wave of social networking, social media, social interaction uh, on digital platforms is really going to be video heavy, then all of their prohibitive data prices might potentially, I guess, foreclose commercial opportunities for them in, in the future. So I think, you know, first thing, you know, for like for China, you know, TikTok was founded in China. Mm. So those markets are really far ahead of us in terms of, you know, where these things started. WeChat started in China, for example. So, you know, at, you know, many times we actually sometimes, you know, behind to follow the trend. Um, I think the time in which we lag has now been shortened as, you know, as you know, access is much high. You must remember that in South Africa, in terms of the actual usage of, of smartphones, it's, it's very low by global standards. Mm. So many people in our country still do not have access to smartphones. So as a result, obviously, you know, um, it, it's not the predominantly driving factor, but, it, you know, it ha- over the last few years it hasn't been as big, but now it has been because, you know, accessibility is increasing with competition. So I think, you know, the telcos are forced to start changing their minds in terms of data prices, but the problem is it's still a business. And that's how they've made the money. It's been having this pricing power, which has become, you know, how to make profitable. Ah, but that's so short-term think, thinking, you know, Norwalli. I mean, you know, it might be good business now for the next five years, but I can assure you, I mean, in the next 10 years, if you're not allowing people to freely share video files uh, on a smartphone, then I would think you're probably going to be missing the game. Yes, and that's exactly what they tried to do with WhatsApp. You know, mm. they tried to block WhatsApp from being able to make calls people making calls and asking the regulator to, you know, impose, you know, fines or charge WhatsApp to use voice over, you know, over the world call. So they've been trying to do everything to protect their margins. And, you know, and it's true, you make a very good point and a very valid one that, you know, it's a short-term, you know, short-term sentiment and thinking about it over the long term. And that we've seen now that the likes of telecom are taking market share. If you look at MTN's numbers, they lost about, you know, in just one quarter of the last quarter, they lost anywhere from 300 to, say, 400,000 subscribers in one quarter alone in the last reported mm-hmm. period. So it is showing up in the number that they're losing market share. Um, but, you know, instead of just going straight to cutting prices, they're going to try to do everything else that they can do before they, you know, touch the profit. Yeah, that's true. That's so, true. you know, that's what they're going to do. They're going to try to do everything, you know, milk the, milk the cow until there's nothing left. And then when they have they'll concede once they actually really have to. And even now they're fighting the regulators in terms of, you know, what they say the cuss is doing in terms of their fees. So they will try everything before they just, you know, concede. And mm. it's that big monopoly duopoly mentality where, you know, we're the biggest, we're still the biggest, our next book is superior, we deserve to charge these prices. Yeah, and if you speak to some of the folk, uh, I guess at Blue Label or even at Celsius, uh, another consideration might be whether or not you slaughter the cow when it ceases to provide any milk. But uh, let's shift our attention uh, from the telecom space here and talk about, you know, uh, a lot of hype surrounding co-working spaces, uh, not only uh, in uh, many of the large centers of the world, but also here in South Africa, where I think over the last decade or so, we've seen a lot of 
co-working spaces emerging and uh, many property investors thinking of this as a potentially viable uh, space to invest. And it seems that, uh, you know, after an ill-fated IPO and uh, a lot of hype uh, that, uh, you know, is, is it too early to say that uh, I guess WeWork and its foray into the marketplace has been an utter flop? So I think, you know, in terms of the workspace, it's, it's an industry that's been around for a very long time. It's been, in over a decade, it's been around. I think in the 90s, you know, you started seeing some entrants going into that. So it's not in a new industry, and it's been around. It's just that what WeWork did is came in, and they made it look sexy. So that is what they did, you know. They didn't pioneer the space. They just, mm. you know, put spotlight in it. They, you know, they came up with the concepts where they, you know, tried to, you know, make it a fun and a working environment. So that's the, you know, the, 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 that was got them to become so big. And, you know, the problem is now that, you know, the business model, you know, from a, from a financial perspective, you know, didn't, didn't work. So they came with a good offering and they're still superior. You know, any, any people that say they're going to work, work, work space compared to any other conventional one, it's completely different. The experience is everything. And, you know, that's what it's about. And they still prefer inside of business model to have the feel and the look and everything. It's very superior, but the fact that just the financial part of it doesn't work. Mm. And I think, you know, that's what it's about now. It's not about changing or, you know, you know, doing anything different in terms of what they're doing. What they're doing is good, and, you know, but unfortunately it's not something revolutionary. Sure. You know what I mean? Someone can, it's, it can misplace this, you know yeah. what I mean? So the, the barriers to entry are not that high for this. Mm. Um, but now we just need to make it possible. Yeah, what about the operating model makes it unprofitable at this point in time? I mean, a lot of people would be interested in sort of what are the drivers of how the business model is currently structured that really make it not worth the while of uh, not only WeWork, but even some of the investors who uh, potentially ought to have been contributing some capital here. So, I mean, in a WeWork business model, who has, you know, they'll go to property company and they'll lease out, out a space for, say, 10 years. But then the consumers that come in to use their spaces will time for one or two years. So there's a, a 10-year mismatch where it doesn't work out because then a person could leave and then you have a vacancy. Meanwhile, you have to keep this property for 10 years. Mm. And obviously, you need funding to get this. And so you need to, be able to repay the funding to secure this. And that's the current problem, that they cannot, they've been indebted and the business model doesn't allow them to generate enough revenue and a consistent revenue to be able to pay off and meet their debt obligations. Mm. So there's a property company, um, which, you know, didn't really think about how a property company runs. <laughs> and that is a problem, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yep, and uh, we sometimes like to just band them together and say, yeah, you know, this is a tech platform or, you know, it's a sharing economy platform without actually thinking about the operational dynamics of a certain industry. I mean, if you're thinking about an Uber, there are certain operating dynamics in the transport sector uh, which uh, have been there for a long time, and uh, you would certainly be remiss to not consider those, and I think the folk at WeWork uh, will be thinking that at this point as they have to offload some assets here. But uh, Nolwandia, we'll have to leave it there. Always a pleasure catching up with you, and uh, till next week. Okay, enjoy the week. Awesome stuff. That is uh, Nolwandia Mtombeni. She's an analyst at Emergence Investment Managers, helping us uh, talk through some of the uh, top business stories on this Wednesday.